in this uh, sermon series that we have entitled Unstoppable. And last week, Miss Jamie did a, a wonderful job and brought us into chapter 5, where we are going to be picking things up in verse 12. And in our passage, as we will see, we will encounter one of many attempts which were made by the Jewish authorities to stop the growth and to end the influence of the early church. And there's a quote in your, in your notes, and it will be on the screen. It's, it's a little heavy to start a message, but it's true. It says this. It says, the church of Jesus Christ is the greatest threat to those who desire to rule with unchallenged power and authority. And this is as true today as it was back then. See, throughout history, committed followers of Jesus Christ have stood in the way of dictators and oppressive governments, which have sought to put an end to biblical truth and morality in an attempt to bring the masses under their complete control. Well, those who oppose the church would be wise to take advice from one of the most influential Pharisees of the first century. His name was Gamaliel. Maybe you've heard of him. He's, he's referenced a few times in the book of Acts. He was the teacher, the rabbi of Saul, who would eventually become the apostle Paul. And Taking a sneak peek towards the end of chapter 5, we're, we're going to cover a, a lot of ground this morning as we work our way all the way to the end of the chapter. Jumping ahead towards the end, we see Gamaliel reasoning with the other Pharisees, the, the Sadducees and the, the Sanhedrin at, uh, there in Jerusalem. And he says this in Acts chapter 5, verses 38 and 39. He says, And now I say to you, keep away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. See, those who pick a fight, if you will, against the church, will ultimately find themselves fighting against God. And God is unstoppable, amen? Jesus declared emphatically in the verse we just saw on the screen, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, the church isn't just an institution which has been deemed an essential part of society. It's not just essential, it is the only hope for society. For it is through the church that Jesus has chosen to make himself known to a lost and a dying world. And as we study our passage this morning, we will see that this unstoppable God of ours is seeking from us, his followers, his church, unstoppable obedience. I love this verse from 2 Chronicles chapter 16. It says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. 
God's eyes scan the entire earth, and what captures his gaze is a life that is completely his. A life that is completely devoted to walking in the commands of the word of God. And when that divine gaze locks in on one of those fully devoted lives, he himself says that he will show up and will show himself strong on behalf of those individuals. You see, when we step out in obedience to God, he inevitably will step in to our situation, no matter what it might be. So in this passage, we're going to look at three aspects of what, what makes up an unstoppable obedience. Will you join me once again in prayer, God? We thank you for this, this day, for the opportunity to lift our voices in thanks and praise. And God, we thank you for your word, which you have given to us. God, we ask that you would give us ears to hear this morning. Whatever it is, you are wanting to speak to us as your church. May we respond this morning. May we respond to, to your love with complete obedience. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first aspect of this obedience, this unstoppable obedience, is that it is unquestioning. Unquestioning. And that's your first fill in there. I'm going to start reading in, in verse 12 there of Acts chapter 5. It says, Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. Now, a quick note on this reference to Solomon's porch. It was simply a, a part of the temple complex where, where crowds would, would gather oftentimes to, to escape the sometimes harsh elements of there in Jerusalem, whether it was the heat or, or the rain, whatever it might be, crowds would gather there. And, and Jesus had made it a, a practice to go there where the crowds had gathered to teach. And now we see the apostles following his example, also gathering in this, this portion there on the east side of the Temple Mount. And going on in verse 14, it says, Believers were increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, if you were here, you remember that Pastor Gary, he preached a message from Acts chapter 4 entitled, No Good Deed Goes Unpunished. It was a great message. Hopefully you got to hear it. If not, go online, check it out. But in that message, we kind of first observed this, this rising opposition which the disciples faced from these religious leaders as, as the power of God was working through them. We, we, we had seen this lame man who was lame from birth, you know, gloriously healed. And, you know, rather than rejoicing in the work that God was doing 
um, you know, among the common people, the religious leaders and these Jewish leaders recognized what was happening as a growing threat to their own grip on power. And ultimately, as Pastor shared, it was a threat to their wealth, to their, to their financial gain. And so, again, rather than rejoicing in what God was, was doing, they arrested Peter and John and severely threatened them and commanded them there in verse 18 of chapter 4 of Acts, they commanded not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. I love their response. They said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And now in chapter 5, we see the disciples being true to their word as they have refused to remain silent. They're continuing to preach the good news of the gospel, even right under the watchful eye of these Jewish leaders there at the temple complex. And as a result, as we just read, once again, the disciples or the apostles, they find themselves being taken this time into custody and thrown into jail. They had dared to defy the order of the high priest to, to remain silent and stop teaching in the name of Jesus. And now the Jewish authorities, they have decided we are going to have to teach these men a lesson. We're going to have to show these guys who is in charge. Going on in verse 19, the apostles being thrown in jail there, it says, but at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. You know, whether the disciples or catching a little bit of sleep that night, or maybe they were wide awake in prayer, or maybe just contemplating what might be in store for them the next day, we don't know. But all of a sudden, there in their cell, an angel from heaven appears and sets them free. But not before giving them some specific instructions. He said, go back to the temple and speak to the people just as you did before. Go finish the sermon which was so rudely interrupted. Go and teach the people. Now, I, to be honest, if I'm one of the, the disciples and an angel shows up and sets me free, I'm thinking, get to the hills as fast as I possibly can. Gather some survival supplies, hide out in the desert until, you know, some time has passed and things have calmed down a bit around Jerusalem. But instead of telling the disciples to run for their lives, again, the angel instructs them, return to the temple. You know, I was thinking about Peter and, you know, the old Peter would very likely have taken this angel to the side and said, okay, just so you understand, yesterday we were doing just that. We were teaching the people, and it didn't turn out so good. How about we head out of town for a few days, you know, fish some calmer waters? Let's try the temple again, maybe a week or two down the road. And indeed, maybe five or six months prior to this, that, that may have been the disciples' response, their, their train of thought. 
But now these men, these common men have been filled and empowered by the Spirit of God and they recognize Jesus' spirit is with them. See, the disciples, they now understood that the most dangerous place in all the world was anywhere outside of the perfect plan of God. The safest place, on the contrary, for them and for us today is right in the center of Jesus' perfect plan. And so with unquestioning obedience, the apostles do just as the angel instructed them. They return to the temple. So the first aspect of this this unstoppable obedience is an unquestioning obedience, a mindset which says, God, I don't understand why, but I trust you, so I will follow you. Second aspect is that unstoppable obedience is unwavering. Continuing in our passage, verse 21, the the authorities here are about to find out that their day is not going to go exactly as planned. It says, but the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought out. Now, a quick note on this reference to the council. This this is referring to the, the assembly known as the Sanhedrin. It was a a group, an assembly of of 70 men who really held the highest position of authority in the entire nation. This was the supreme court, if you will, of the Jewish people. And after gathering the, the Sanhedrin together, no doubt, dialoguing as to what how they were gonna proceed with these troublemakers, these apostles. They finally give the instruction, they give the word to go ahead and and bring these men into their chamber. But verse 22 says, but when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported saying, indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the high priest, the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. Now, the English kind of does us a disfavor and doesn't really capture the intensity of the moment. The language in the Greek is is much stronger and and communicates that the, the leaders here were entering into panic mode. A better translation would say that they were greatly perplexed. They weren't just thinking, hmm, I wonder what happened. They were fearing what, what was going to come next. They were, they were in a panic. And it says in verse 25, so one came and told them. I picture them bursting through the back doors, you know, out of breath, just trying to get the words out of what they've seen. And it says, saying, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. They weren't fooling themselves. They, they knew how popular the apostles were becoming. So when they brought him without violence, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, in verse 28, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, 
You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Boy, what I would give to have it said of Crossroads Church. Boy, you over there on Inez have filled this valley with this doctrine of Jesus Christ. You know, I'm looking at this also and I notice the hesitancy by the chief priests here, by the high priest, to, to, to even mention the name of Jesus. Did you notice that? He says, didn't we, strictly to command, didn't we strictly command you not to teach in this name? And now you've filled with Jerusalem with this doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us? Peter said, no, 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 no. You misunderstand us. We're not trying to blame you. Oh, that's the politically correct version. Sorry. Let me get back to the word of God. Verse 29, Peter answers, we ought or we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. You don't want to say his name, but I will say it loudly and boldly. Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him, God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. You ever taken a hornet's nest and just shaken it? (laughs) That's what's going on here. And the boldness that the Spirit of God provided that Jesus gave them, they just call it for what it is. See, Peter and the other apostles, they had their minds made up. They would follow Jesus no matter what the cost might be. Again, backing up to... You know, just, you know, we don't know for sure how long, but maybe five or six months prior to this and, you know, prior to to Jesus' death on the cross, Peter had boldly proclaimed, Lord, I'm ready to follow you wherever you go. I'm ready to even die for you or with you. But what happened that night? Fearing for his own life and rather than standing with Jesus, Peter wavered and claimed he didn't even know him. He swore by it. I don't know the man. But now things have changed. Peter's been transformed. He no no longer holds his life dear in his own hands, but he has committed himself fully to the one who purchased him there on the cross. Seeing the disciples, there was no room left for denial. There was no room left to waver between two worldviews. Even as they they stood there before the most powerful men in their nation and and faced a very real possibility of, of being put to death, they stood firm. They confessed their full allegiance to Jesus Christ, proclaiming again, they must obey God rather than men. Their obedience to Christ was unwavering. And I have to ask myself, how about me? How about us this morning? Are we willing to obey Jesus Christ no matter what the cost might be? Will we honor him even though it might cost us that promotion we've been working so hard to attain? Or maybe even lose our job? Will we obey God even though it may cause those whom we love and care about to walk away from us? 
Is our obedience as Crossroads Church unwavering to the point that we will walk in what God is calling us to do and to proclaim what God is calling us to proclaim, even if it means they chain the doors shut and threaten us pastors with arrest? Now, this may sound a, a bit over the top, a bit exaggerated at this moment, but the, re, but the truth is this is a reality for millions of Christians around the world today. And it's fast becoming a real possibility even in our own nation. And I thank God for Pastor Gary's leadership and the board and their desire to allow God to lead us in, this, in these uncertain times. See, make no mistake about it, there are those in our culture, in our community, who are seeking to silence us. Oh, they don't mind if we talk how we're talking in these four walls. But once you leave those doors, you better not push your lifestyle on anybody else. There's those who, even in the name of equity, they're seeking to, to make it a criminal offense to call sin, sin in our day. You don't believe me? Just take a trip to Canada, interview some of the pastors up there who have been forbidden to teach every passage in this book. It's a reality. What are we going to do? I believe those seeking to extinguish the flame of God's truth are about to find out that the, the, the harder they blow, the brighter we will shine. John declares it in the first chapter of his book, his gospel, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. His truth is unstoppable. I love Paul's words in 2 Timothy. I didn't <clears throat> get it in your notes or even on the screen this morning, but he was suffering and in, in prison himself for preaching the gospel. He makes this declaration. It's, he says, because I preach this good news, I'm suffering and I've been chained like a criminal, but the word of God cannot be chained. The word of God cannot be changed. It cannot be silenced. The third aspect of this unstoppable obedience flows right out of the, the second, but it's that obedience which is undeterred. Verse 34 of our passage, it says, Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people, and he commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. Again, I mentioned earlier, this is the Gamaliel who was the teacher of of the Apostle Paul prior to his conversion to Christ. And what I didn't mention, and I find it fascinating, is that scripture points to the very real possibility that Paul himself was possibly a part of the Sanhedrin for a time. He talks about casting a vote against the followers of, of, of Christ. And most likely, I believe, the details that we have here of what Gamaliel was about to say to the others in the council is probably given to Luke, the author of Acts, by Paul himself. So he was possibly in the room at this time, seeing the boldness of the, of the apostles. And at this time, rather than inspiring Paul to become a follower, it was making his blood boil. He wanted these men dead. We see evidence of that in the coming chapters, which we will cover. But he goes on in, in verse 35, Gamaliel speaking, says, Men of Israel, take heed. 
to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theudas rose up claiming to be somebody. The number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men, let them alone, for if this plan is for if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. They agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So the apostles are once again strictly warned and commanded to stop teaching in the name of Jesus. And this time that warning is indeed accompanied with a beating. But obviously it had no effect Well, it did have an effect. It was a cause for great rejoicing and the motivation to continue to obey Jesus daily and continue to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we will see, the opposition only intensifies as we move forward in the book of Acts and and indeed we see Saul of Tarsus taking the lead in in attempting to stamp out Christianity. Well, just as the church there in the first century faced rising opposition, so the church of the 21st century also faces rising opposition. Satan's attempts to silence believers are as real today as they were then. And today, all around the world, committed followers of Christ are under constant threat of harm and indeed often experience even physical attacks, just like the apostles faced here in the book of Acts. And you know, in our natural mind, we, we hear about these things and we see the, the apostles after, after boldly proclaiming truth, still suffering this physical attack. And we wonder and ask, well, why does God allow that? If he's so unstoppable, if he's so powerful, why doesn't he just shield every one of his children with some kind of supernatural force field which prevents any harm and and any suffering to ever come near any of his followers. You know, wouldn't, wouldn't that be a powerful testimony that our God is real and powerful and worthy of worship? You know, the truth is there are countless occasions where God does just that. He shows up and supernaturally protects his people. But there are also Many times where his plan allows suffering, where his plan even allows physical harm. And I believe that it is in those instances, as his followers experience such hardship, but yet continue in undeterred obedience to him, that God is most glorified. See, it's not the absence of conflict or pain in your life which will cause unbelievers to want to know God, but rather it's your joy 
and your undeterred obedience to Christ in the midst of that conflict and that pain, which will cause those around you to say, you know, what is it about you? What keeps you going? What keeps that smile on your face? Some verses to keep close to your heart. If, you were to, if, if we are to, to walk in undeterred obedience, no matter what may come our way, we got to remember verses like Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. God declares through the prophet, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, there's one sure thing you can plan on in life, and that's that life doesn't always go as planned. With that being so, we must determine now to obey, God, obey the word of God regardless of, of what turns our life may take. No matter what comes our way, let's determine to remain fully committed to Jesus Christ. Now, I just couldn't uh, preach a message like this on, on obedience and, and standing for truth without highlighting three of my favorite people in all of the Bible. Three young men, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You might know them better by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like the apostles, these young men were given a command which was contrary to what God had told them. And when threatened with a painful death in a fiery furnace, these three boys were un wavering and undeterred. And they respond to King Nebuchadnezzar. They said, O king, our God will deliver us. But even if he didn't, let it be known to you and to the whole world that we will never bow down to anyone or anything but our God. And as you know, these three young men, they were bound and thrown into the midst of that intense fire, but they were not alone in that place. There was a fourth man who joined them, and the fire had no effect on them whatsoever. Crossroads, the fires of affliction are sure to come. They come to all of us. But praise be to God, with Jesus by our side, those fires will have no power over us. But rather, they will be occasions for great joy. The apostles left the council that day bloodied and bruised, but the beating had no power over them. Rather than cowering in fear, they rejoiced that they were considered worthy to, sh to suffer shame for his name. May we likewise have such a privilege in our day and in our lives. So how do we start? How do, how do we start walking in this unstoppable obedience? You know, maybe you're here today or watching online and you're thinking, unstoppable obedience. I don't walk in any obedience to God. I don't even know this God. And, you're, you're, and maybe deep inside of you, you're longing to know him. You're longing to, to walk in obedience and you're wondering, well, how do I get started? It's really quite simple. First thing to do is to simply recognize that Jesus loves you. 
most simple, straightforward truth in all the word of God. Jesus Christ took your sin upon himself. And as a result, he suffered and died in your place so that you don't have to. He wants you to live with him forever and ever. He made a way for that to happen because he loves you dearly. So we recognize that he loves us and then secondly, we simply respond to Jesus' love for us. See, unstoppable obedience doesn't happen as we, you know, in our, in our own strength and self-will rise up and, and, and stand you know, on, our, on our own two feet in our own strength. No, it's, it's simply recognizing and responding to Jesus' love. And as we start loving him and doing things that please him, we find ourselves that obeying him isn't some burden to bear, but rather a joy to behold and to do. Jesus declared in John 14, those who accept my commands and obey them are the ones who love me. Because they love me, my Father will love them. I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. All who love me do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. So obedience naturally follows a love for Jesus Christ as we recognize what he has done and respond to that love. Prior to becoming our our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln was traveling through the South and one day happened upon a, a slave auction in progress and he was appalled at at what he saw but while he was there his attention was drawn to a a young woman who had obviously been abused and mistreated obviously had a lot of anger and resentment built up inside of her and when her turn came on the auction block Lincoln decided that he would join in the bidding and as the price went up Lincoln continued to bid until ultimately he won the auction. And after approaching the auctioneer and and paying the price, he approached this young woman who who had had her head down. and, And as he walked up, she muttered, what do you intend to do with me? And Lincoln responded, I intend to set you free. She said, what is that supposed to mean? She said, it means you're free, completely free. She says, does that mean I can do whatever I want to do? And he said, yes, you can do whatever you want to do. Free to say whatever I want to say? Yes, you're free to say whatever you want to say. I'm free to go wherever I want to go. Is that what you're saying? Lincoln said, yes, you are free to go wherever you want to go. With trembling lips and tears forming in her eyes, she said, if that's true, then I intend to go with you. You know this story, it's in no way a perfect example of what Jesus has done for us. But the fact is that Jesus wants to set you free from any chains that might be holding you this morning. And if the Worship team wants to, to join me once again. You know, I love the songs they chose this morning, singing about the freedom that we have in Christ. 
He has the power to set us free this morning. In fact, he has already paid the price for our freedom. But instead of setting us free and and saying to us, go and live however you see fit, Jesus, he sets us free and says, come and follow me. Come and do as I do. Obey my commands and experience a life that is truly free. And close with this verse, Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You need rest this morning. If you've been striving in your own strength, trying to be, trying your best to be pleasing in God's sight, come to Jesus, receive his mercy and his grace and find his rest. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's calling us to obedience. But he promises that as we step out in that obedience, he's going to be right by our side, yoked together with us, working in us to do as he intends for us to do. See, his grace is sufficient for us, for his strength is made perfect in our weakness. His strength isn't perfected in our strength, in our own ability. It's perfected in our weakness as we say, Jesus, I need you. If I am to live a life pleasing to you in full obedience, walking in that unstoppable obedience, then I need you, Jesus, to come and cover me and give me the strength that I need to live out this life out there. He wants to do that for all of us this morning. Allow him to come and give you that rest that he promises. If you need prayer this morning, there'll be some prayer partners up here at the front. But whether you come forward or whether you stay in your seats, spend a few moments calling upon our great God. Let's respond to his love this morning and rededicate ourselves to walk unwavering, unquestioning, and undeterred in our obedience to him. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit which dwells within us. And God, enable us, equip us, empower us to do all that you've called us to do. We thank you for setting us free. And we choose, God, to, to, to live for you from this moment on. We give you thanks and praise. In your name, Jesus. Amen.